is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to man. This is the dimension of imagination. It is an area which we call the Twilight Zone. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Twilight Highlight Zone. I'm your host, Jeff Cork. Joined today by my buddy, Ben Hansen. Just another episode. I'm starting to get a cold, which I think is suitable because this is the final episode of the regular run of the final series of the Twilight Zone. Before the Franklin episodes and then the following bonus episodes. And then exactly. Whenever we get bored. And That's get, what I'm saying. And officially trail off from this iTunes feed. I probably said it better myself but you did a really good job of reiterating <laughs> what i just said so that's nice hey cork you know what we've done right now we've watched all the episodes every episode of twilight zone mm-hmm. it's great wasn't it it really was i have that whole picture and the more i think about it yes the more i don't want to dive into 80s i don't want to dive into thousands reboot uh-huh. i don't want to dive into night gallery what do you want to dive into well, we've been talking about that. We'll we'll save that for a future date. A bewitching pool? <laughs> That's right. With Tom Sawyer. Uh, no, but I just want to keep these memories pure. I don't yeah. want to be confused and think like, God, was that Night Gallery or Twilight Zone? I can't remember what the hell that was. Okay, so you're done with television is what you're trying to say. That's exactly right. That's exactly this right. This is great. I blew it up last night. You blew it up. I have to say that we talked about this briefly, that when the bewitching pool was mm-hmm. done, Netflix kicked me out to, what do you want to watch next? What did it recommend? Like Alfred Hitchcock presents sure. and a bunch of other stuff, and I was like, I would like to continue watching Twilight Zone, please, because there's got to be at least one more episode. Uh-huh. Nope, that's it. You're expecting like black and white fireworks to go off or something, some sort of achievement point thing to pop up. Keep on your talking. Yep. Okay, <laughs> that's what I was looking forward to. But instead, you get Bewitched Pool. Should we talk about the episode called The Encounter? Yeah. All right. This is. Oh boy, this is another one of those a couple guys in a room episodes. We ain't got no money. Presum- <laughs> presumably, that's what's going on here. So it starts off with, there's an old gentleman, older-ish. This is one of those, like, as I get older myself, I find people's definition of what old mm-hmm. is to be more and more offensive. This is like a cork age gentleman. It's a cork age gentleman, so not quite walking. If he's got a cane, it's like, look at me, I'm walking with a cane kind of thing. Maybe in a back alley, he'd like use it because he'd actually need it. Okay, let's say that he's probably in his in his 50s or so. Sure. We'll say that. So he's in his in his attic cleaning up, and he's walking around, and he sees a sword, and he like looks at it and unsheaths it. It's like a samurai sword kind of thing, right? Uh-huh. And then he puts it back in, and then in the background you see like a, a bonsai flag. Yeah, this attic's just the filled with sun crap. From World War Two, right? So then he so he throws the sword in disgust, and then right around then, all of a sudden, a young George Takei comes up the stairs, and he's like, "Hey, I'm here to do some yard work." Building. Starts out pretty innocent, and he's like, yeah. hey, why don't you have a beer with me, man? Yeah, come up here. You you can clean up here for a while, he says. Like, oh, what a great off- offer. <laughs> you learn that this guy, uh, George Takei's character, his name's Arthur, born in the USA. But he's like, he's how ma- can a Japanese man be named Arthur? The other he makes a point yeah. of being like, hey, I'm just as American as anyone else. And that gives uh, the old guy, he's like, hey, hey, look at this sword. I got it from World War II. Maybe, can you translate this for me? And the guy's like, I don't speak and read Japanese. My mom does. Right. Arthur and Arthur looks at it when the old guy gets a beer. Right. And he looks at it and he says, I'm going to kill him. And that's the stinger before <laughs> Sterling cuts in. It's yeah. like, all right, this is really coming out of nowhere. But sure. All right. So then they toast their beers together and then they, they start talking and Arthur immediately is like, 
indignant, says, I don't like being called boy. Some people even call me mister and all this other stuff. Right. So uh, the old guy notices the sword is missing. And they talk about it. Arthur says something to the effect, I know what the sword says. It means the sword will avenge me. Sure. Uh, so then they start walking around, and the old guy hears the jungle sounds and gunfire and all that kind of stuff. I think it's a Sounds and Silences album that's playing in the downstairs. <laughs> exactly. It's a very kinda... rare album. Yeah. There's only a hundred of these pressed, <laughs> actually. And he keeps calling him Carl throughout this episode, too. Mm-hmm. Like, ah, oh, you look like a Carl. I don't know. You can never quite remember. Yeah. So then uh, he's talking about sneaking up on a guy. And then he turns around and there's a standoff. George Takei's character has got the sword out. And the old guy's got a knife, and uh, they kind of wrestle around for a little bit, and Arthur has him down, and and then he's like, he's ah, con- I don't know what got into me. Uh. Everyone's just confused, including the viewers at this point, because yeah. it seems to be an angle of the other guy, the main guy, he has PTSD, mm-hmm. uh, he's a little bit drunk. Uh, as the episode unfurls, you find out that he has more and more issues in his life. Like he lost his job and his wife left him at this point. Uh, but Arthur just seems like a good kid. Yeah. Old George Takei, who just happens to be holding a kind of sort of haunted, possessed sword that mm-hmm. the other guy had tried to give away yeah. several times, but the garbage men kept bringing it back. It's kind of like a living doll situation. Exactly. Yeah. So Arthur is like, enough of this. This is crazy. I'm out of here. Tries to leave, and he's like, the door's locked. Right. And you learn, the, well, that's funny. The door doesn't have a lock on it, so it's stuck or something. Mm-hmm. So then they go back up, and George Takei starts talking about his dad getting killed at Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And then as he starts talking more and more, he lear- you learn that, okay, by the way, he, my dad also signaled the planes. <laughs> it starts out with him like, oh, no, he is a war hero. He's been living there for a long time. Yep. He helped build all that stuff. Yeah, and then he just slowly breaks himself down to the point of saying like, oh yeah, uh, basically Pearl Harbor is my father's fault. Yeah. The old guy takes it in stride. He's like, hey, don't leave. You seem like a nice guy. Here, have another beer. He just really wants to drink a beer with him. Right. And then as he's drinking the beer, the guy just starts going off again. again like He's laid off because, so he comes to work and he's been drinking a few beers. He drives a cat. You know yeah. what that is? He's like an earth mover. We move earth. We don't manicure it. He yeah, explains. Yeah. Exactly. And he's like, do they care about that? Nope. Taking my job to the Mexicans, the Chinese, all this stuff. My wife's leaving me. Uh-huh. Uh, but women are a dime a dozen. Anybody that's been to the Orient knows that. Yep. Explains. <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. And then he's talking about how when he was uh, in the war, he was just following orders. That uh, he was just supposed to burn the Japanese out of caves. He was they, told that like they were all apes. They're all then. apes back then. But then in the beginning of the episode, he also tried to compliment uh, this young buck mm-hmm. by talking about like, oh, we all respected the hell out of the Japanese. Like they fought like tigers. They're yeah. really, everybody looked up to him. Anybody that was actually over there respects you guys. Mm-hmm. But now he's all conflicted. Like, well, we thought you were apes, but then they tell us that you're highly cultured people. And it's like, right. I don't know what to think. It's actually, it's my favorite part of the episode is, yeah, when he breaks that down and then he just explains that he's been pushed and pulled by propaganda until he hates everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like, yeah, throughout his life, I've just been, distorted so many times about who to hate and what to believe that my mind is just basically mush at this point right so things get a little heated maybe some words are spoken yeah they start fighting and it's a very confusing fight sequence where then eventually 
uh, Arthur's like pulling on his leg after the other guy's already fallen down. Yeah, and, and that he, that act somehow causes him to get impaled on the sword. But they never really show the sword impaled. They show no. him like pulling, like picking the sword up afterwards. But basically, this guy fell on the haunted dumb sword, and he gets killed. And Arthur <laughs> picks up the sword, yells bonsai, and jumps out the window. And then it then it shows the door to the attic opening creaking up. open. And Serling explains that their disease was guilt. That's what was going on here. That was the real issue. Mm-hmm. Holy cow. All right. So uh, <laughs> I was reading a little bit about this episode, and uh, this, is, this is one that did not go into syndication. It's one of only like four half-hour episodes that didn't make it into syndication. Uh-huh. And the theory was that people might have seen it as offensive. Uh, Maybe the whole bonsai jumping out the window, and when he calls him like a – it's either – Filthy or dirty little Jap, I can't remember. Yeah, what. it's 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 a fair amount of that. But, I mean, the entire episode kind of fluctuates between George Takei's character kind of spinning out of control, getting too aggressive, and the other guy being like, hey, come down, I just wanted to have a beer, and George Takei being cool, and the other guy getting more and more hostile, remembering, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just his days during the war fighting these guys, yeah. and when he killed that guy after he surrendered and whatnot. But, like, you just think about from George Takei's perspective, when George Takei takes this stuff super seriously, uh, like he was actually in uh, like an internment camp. Yeah, he exactly. Up, yeah, exactly. Like this is very near and dear to his heart. And the idea of like taking this episode where it's like, what's the message? Like that whole thing about his father triggering Pearl Harbor. It's kind of, it doesn't cast the most positive light mm-hmm. on Japanese people. Like there's no positive spin to this. It's not like an anti hate episode. I guess it's kind of yeah. maybe an anti propaganda episode just I with his the, last speech. I think but. a message to use one of your favorite phrases is big dogs gotta eat like george <laughs> takei probably needed an acting job and was just like eh, i'm japanese yeah it's pre-star trek so yeah why twilight not? zone i mean and you if still- you get you audition they probably at this point were just like hey we need a young japanese dude you want to appear on the twilight zone of course and I I'm do. sure he's like, yeah, Twilight Zone, super progressive show. Yeah. So usually they got a good moral standing. Even and if I can't like, quite see so it. So I yell bonsai <laughs> and jump out of a window? Ugh, color the set black. Like, <laughs> but uh, I guess also it was written uh, because the writer always wanted to do a story about like two people talking about this very real conflict in the past, but always in retrospect. It's kind of like the cool tempers of temper temperament of like modern times but mm-hmm. reflecting on such a heated conflict but it very much just cemented the idea that like that weird haunted sword angle is just like it is a big cake of could be good drama and mm-hmm. then they just put this chocolate coating of something about a haunted sword i don't know over the top yeah. of the whole thing never really feels right or developed in any meaningful way except for that it's like the ring i guess and if you touch it it just slowly possesses you to the <laughs> point that you have to just take vengeance. Yeah. And even though he was born in the States, he has to channel this Japanese dead man who was wronged during World War II. It's pretty terrifying if you think about it. Yeah, because yeah. you can pick it up at a garage sale. And exactly. Just start going after this man's corpse then, just stabbing exactly. a skeleton. Uh, Here's so, what I'm going to say. This, yeah. this episode is a, like a three. Oh, really? Opinion. The only thing that keeps it from getting a two... Uh huh. Is I like the shot of the door opening oh. at the end. <laughs> Just because the then it's kind of the... like all of a sudden it's like oh wait that uh, it was the attic's fault. The sword is like oh, why well, I gotta take the fall here. Thanks, thanks attic. Yeah, helping out a little bit here. Okay, uh, all right. It's a little more harsh than I was uh, gonna give it. I gave it a six. 
Mm-mm. But I think I overscored a little bit. That's okay. Uh, I think I think I'm gonna bump it down to a five. Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, the the haunting angle was so thin, but I do like the idea of just these two guys trying to reconcile what's happened in their past and this guy's life just crumbling down around him mm-hmm. and just wanting to drink a beer with George Decay. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'll I'll settle down on a five for that one. That works. All right. All right, moving on to Garrity and the Graves. That's Mr. Garrity, if you if you please. Yes, and Mrs. Graves. Um, so it opens in a place called Happiness, Arizona, on a sign that explains that 128 people died, uh, and that was during the founding. It's a whole new town now. And so this guy, Mr. Garrity, goes into the uh, bar there, the saloon, mm-hmm. I guess you call it, and find out that this town used to be it's only been Happiness, Arizona for 10 months, and it used to be called Dead Men's Junction, <laughs> Boot Hill Village, or Satan's Doorstop. <laughs> all of this good stuff. But that's all changed. That's all in the past because the new sheriff put a kibosh on firearms. Yeah. There are no guns allowed anywhere in this town. So immediately I'm thinking that this Garrity character coming to town is just going to take the whole thing over. Like he's just loaded to the gills with guns. He's, by, by the way, yeah, he is a snappy dresser. Uh, he's, he's wearing a really crazy plaid suit, this yeah. Mr. Garrity fella, and this really flowery shirt. It's like a tablecloth kind of wrapped around his yeah. body. Yeah, it's 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 good stuff. Uh, but he explains that he's not in the killing business. He's in the services business. And the bartender's like, oh, what kind of services are we talking about here? And he explains, I bring back the dead. And the bartender drops his glass of beer. Yeah. And there's like a little stinger like... <laughs> of course yeah then serling yeah gives a whole speech and this this speech really stands out to me okay do you know why no serling's intro idea. he explains it like oh i know it sounds like an out- outlandish concept is bringing back the dead but don't laugh it off missouri he calls out <laughs> missouri specifically oh you know why, why? missouri is the show me state is that and so people always connect it with them? I think maybe back then. This is also an area you got to remember where people said peanut butter and jelly, <laughs> and and it's got a really big shoe. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought this was just a weird thing where it's like, hey, if you think you're first in flight, what do you see this episode? Famous <laughs> but, potatoes. But really, no, I thought it was a thing where he's just like trying to be absurd and like calling it out, like looking at the screen and being like, "Hello, Tony, look at this message." Like just trying to weird people out, so, so that one person in the audience is gonna be like, "Oh my god!" Yeah, exactly. And then he's just. Going for all of Missouri? I don't know. Maybe, yeah, it's a show me state thing. That's a good pull cork. Yeah. Jesus. I'm going to be totally, yeah, that's totally what it is. Old pulled cork. Yeah, pulled uh, cork. All right. Uh, so we come back to it, and uh, it shows the sheriff. And the sheriff, I think they're trying to cast him a little bit like an idiot. Like he's like accidentally pointing a gun at himself, and he's got like some ass kisser friend and whatnot. Uh, and then there's a drunk in the bar, too, and they're all questioning whether or not this is possible, whether or not this guy can actually bring people back to life. And the old guy explains that he only started drinking, or the drunk guy explains that he only started drinking when his wife Zelda died. Mm-hmm. And she, was, she was 247 pounds, but not unattractive, mind you. And, you know, that's he's heartbroken. That's the only reason he drinks. Yeah. And then you hear a commotion out in the street. And all of them died violently except for one. And that right. was Zelda. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, and so... They hear a commotion out in the street. It turns out a dog got hit by a carriage, which apparently happened back then. And they're all looking at this dog saying, like, oh, boy, that dog's dead. No doubt about it. And they're all crowding around. And Mr. Garrett, of course, walks up. Garrity, I should say. 
uh, and explains like, hey, gather around, folks. I'm going to bring this dog back to life. Now we can all clearly see this dog's dead, right? And they're like, oh, yes, absolutely. And then he does like the South Park thing with Jesus. Where he's like, turn around, P- turn around, please. Everyone turn around. <laughs> and so everyone turns around and then he just mutters some half Latin crap. And then believe it or not, the dog is alive. And they're all amazed and it runs off, right? And yeah, the old lady's like, it's devil's work. And he's explaining, like, ah, oh, it's not black magic. It's science that I just so happen to have learned in the Himalayas. Some years of wandering the Himalayas. That's right. Yeah. And then the drunk science. guy. Then it cuts to the drunk guy. And he's looking at his friend. And he goes, that's way up there. And he does like, this <laughs> weird thumb motion. <laughs> it's pretty funny stuff. Um, so then at this point, they all get super excited about the idea of bringing back their dead. And so Garrity goes up to the graveyard because at midnight he's gonna bring them all back right right and he comes back down and explains like oh baby cosmic (laughs) impulses tonight are just incredible they'll all start filing down the hill anytime now and so they're all sitting around in the saloon having a beer or two waiting for all of their dead loved ones in happiness arizona to come back down the hill uh and he explains that the first one coming back is the bartender's brother uh and he's talking to the bartender's brother the bartender and he's like oh i heard your brother was a real great guy he was just fantastic and the bartender's like, oh, no, he was a thief and a skunk. There's a picture of the bartender's brother on the wall behind the bartender. And yeah. It totally looks like someone just put a wig on the bartender. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, it's really crappy looking. Uh, so he's explaining, like, ah, his brother's actually a, a pretty bad guy. Uh, and things have been better off since he's been dead. So he's like, how much would it take to kill him again or not have him come back? I know you revived everybody. You probably should have asked before you did that, by the way. I don't want my zombie wife coming back. But anyways, yeah. Uh, how much will it take? And he's like, ah, oh, seven fifty, please. And then slowly, over the next couple of minutes, more and more people are realizing who's going to be coming back. And they're like, ah, you know, Zelda, my fat wife, she uh, she broke my arm six <laughs> times. <laughs> so maybe I could kind of pay some money to not have her come back. And then like, there's the the evil villain that was in town that the sheriff supposedly killed in a duel but then it kind of boils to the surface that he actually shot him while he was sleeping in the back or something Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's like yeah maybe we should not have that guy come back either so garrity just makes a fortune of all these people making it so that their loved ones will not come back to life and when the bartender pays him Mm -hmm. his brother the dead guy is seen in the streets yes shuffling and limping towards them Mm -hmm. and it's kind of foggy but you can see them uh, and everybody in town is kind of staring at him. And the second that the bartender gives him the money, then he disappears. He just vanishes right before our very eyes. And everybody runs back and says, like, oh, he's gone. He's completely gone. No big deal. Uh, so then Garrity gets out of town. He's stopping by uh, the graveyard on his way out to say sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't actually bring you back to life. That's too bad. And so he's got a little caravan. And, of course, you see the dog then, who mm-hmm. you thought was a random dog. Turns out it's his dog trained to play dead. And then he's got an actor in the backseat that dressed up like the guy's brother. Yep. He must have done some research then to find out whether or not the guy had a limp and what the reputation was. Yeah, for he could, because he said, he said, we're going to Tucson next, so you scout on ahead and see what we're up against, basically. Right, right. And so they go, drive the carriage by, and then this is the money shot. It's focusing on the graveyard, and then all of the dead rise out of the graveyard and start talking about, like, oh, boy, you see, like, the bartender's brother. Uh, and they mentioned that, uh, you know, he, that actor really did not do a good job playing <laughs> you. He really blew it. And all the zombie people then are shuffling 
towards happiness and oh, yeah. then you, you see zelda <laughs> the overweight wife and she's just immediately excited to break her husband's arm yeah, again a little pipsqueak <laughs> it's just, just like a fetish like what's her deal she's just super into breaking his arm repeatedly oh yeah she i, I yeah she's gonna swing him around over her head and <laughs> <laughs> and that's it garrity's moving on to the next town and they're gonna be tortured by their dead loved ones yeah so is the overall message here be wary of witchcraft and we don't miss our dead loved ones as much as we think we do. It's like a dead, like a um, morality sandwich in a way. How so? Or at least a two-layer sandwich. Yeah, my favorite kind. <laughs> um, maybe don't mess with pretending you can do something like that. Mm-hmm. Even though he doesn't have to deal with the consequences, so it's not really a good message for him. He just made a crap load of money. Maybe don't shoot people while they're sleeping. Yeah, so the sheriff or is the ultimate. Your arm broken repeatedly, I suppose. <laughs> Don't remember somebody named Zelda. Why did, why did these people come back? He was completely by himself. Why did he actually go sing some incantation at the graveyard? He could have just walked up there and then walked right back. I think that was for our benefit. Oh, so you're saying it didn't <laughs> actually happen and that it's a TV show episode? No, I I want to know how that guy disappeared when everyone yeah. was watching. Like, immediately, like, there's no way that he could have gotten the message that, like, this guy's paid up, so now disappear. Yeah, Yeah, it should have been just, we see it, and it should have been more hazy instead of every Mm -hmm. townsperson. But I guess they needed a reason to pay up so quickly. By the way, he never, how many times has he done this? And there's never been a single person that actually wants to see their dead loved one again? Everyone just comes around and realizes that they're a piece of crap? Yeah, it, it seems like, especially going to Tucson... Right. Someone had to have lost, at the, the risk of getting super grim, like someone had to have lost a child <laughs> and would have been super excited about that opportunity. Right. And now that I think about it, I had to wipe his butt all the time. How about or I something. pay you? How about I pay you to not see my kid again? Jeez. Oh, speaking of kids, yeah. you'll never guess what exact moment my kids walked into the room when I was watching this. When they're busting up out of the graves at the oh, end? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like... Just almost as though on they were on cue. Good moment. Have they seen Thriller yet? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, the stuff the Thriller is terrifying. They haven't slept since then. But (laughs) this just further cemented the halls of the house. Yeah, that's when they happen to come across this one. Every time they turn on the TV, they just see someone rising from the grave. (laughs) But Uh, I like this episode. Yeah, this is a pretty fun episode. I think it's uh, I think it's the highlight of the block here. Yeah. Uh, I give it a seven. Yeah, as did I. All and, right. And uh, it's not an encouraging sign that a seven is considered to be the highlight of the block. But let's keep going, man. Let's do it. What's the next one? Brain Center at Whipples, which is just a riveting title. Oh, brother. Brain Center at Whipples. As we start, it is a, as we learn shortly afterwards, we're watching a stockholder film uh-huh. about Whipples, which is... A factory all over the all over the United States got two hundred eighty three thousand people working for it, and as the uh, the film says, uh, they only take forward steps. So right now they've got the X one hundred nine B fourteen machine, and it's a new piece of equipment that will allow them to eliminate sixty one thousand jobs in their midwestern plant. So in six months they'll be operating. Uh, brain center of machines, and then this is the end of their 1967 report. I like that the guy on the documentary or in the little video, like he's kind of nervous. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a bad speaker. He's kind of yes. going slow. Yeah, he calls it the 1967 year mm-hmm. report. Yeah, he's just very formal and crappy at his job. So then we go back to that guy is uh, Mr. Wallace Whipple, and Whip- Whipple is talking to this other guy, Hanley, and Whipple's like, So what do you think? 
And he, you can see his personality shifts over, as you point out. He's like super confident. And he's uh-huh. a jerk. He's the boss. And Hanley is totally not impressed. And Mr. Whipple's joking about, well, pretty soon we're just going to donate our punch cards to the museum. And then they kind of says, well, you know, these guys with jobs and all this, these guys have jobs and families and all that stuff. And Mr. Whipple's like, well, you're anti-progress. Right. When it comes to the aforementioned progress, you're a foot dragger. Yeah. At this point, you notice that Mr. Whipple has got two things. He can't stop f***ing around with the knobs on this computer (laughs) as he's talking. Yeah. And he also won't stop swinging his goddamn keychain. Yeah. It's just constantly spinning around. It is super annoying. (laughs) So uh, Hanley says, you know, ask, are you trading this efficiency for pride in your products? And he's like, no, no. Products are what it's all about. Blah, blah, blah. So... Whipple, this is a really boring episode. I'm just going to put this out here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Whipple says, why don't you call the plant foreman, Mr. Dickerson, in here, uh-huh. and I'll uh, show you how great I am. We're going to give him notice and all the other guys that we're firing. Right. So guy comes in, a couple of guys come in, and they wheel the computer downstairs to the factory, fl- the plant floor, and he's saying, be careful and all this stuff. Mr. Dickerson comes in and... Uh, Gets fired, and he says, all right, that'll be all, Mr. Dickerson. And then Mr. Dickerson says, yes, that'll be all. And then he cracks. And then he cracks. <laughs> so Mr. Dickerson and Hanley go downstairs, and they're looking at the machine. Next thing you know, Dickerson's at the bar, and he's holding out his hands, telling the bartender, you know what these are? These are obsolete. Uh-huh. And uh, Dick- Dickerson tells the bartender, I'm going to go there. And I'm going to turn these machines into piles and nuts and bolts and just all this stuff. And the bartender is like, all right, whatever. (laughs) So he runs into the, like, the plant floor where all the computers are. And uh, Mr. Whipple sees him and says, hey, you walked right past the watchman. And then they argue for a little bit. And Mr. Uh, Whipple says, you know, this machine is, finally we learn what this stupid factory does. But I don't know, maybe they said it, but I wasn't. I didn't, I didn't catch it. What is it? Oh, yeah. This machine is a lathe operator and a press operator, and it's worth more than you. Sure. So. And then he really starts screaming, I'm a man, Mr. Whipple, and that makes me better than that hunk of metal. And then he whips out like a crowbar and starts attacking the machine while just giving the performance of his lifetime, <laughs> screaming like a maniac. Yeah. So then we're back in Mr. Whipple's office. and uh, Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? You're missing the climax of this because he's attacking this machine and there's a security guard there with a gun. And then the Mr. Whipple grabs the security guy's gun and shoots this guy and he falls into the machine. And then he whispers to the machine as he's dying that it took a man to kill him and that the computer didn't do it. And that humanity still has a place in the world because he was killed by a human being. It's not, it's not a great scene. Ha! <laughs> For I mean, like if this actually happened, it would not be a great scene. Sure, naturally. the performances are fantastic. Okay, oh, it's just amazing. Great, great. So we go back to Hanley talking to Mister Whipple, and he's Hanley's like, "Well, you know, Mister Dickerson's in the hospital now," and uh, Mister Whipple says, "Well, you know, I'm working on a new Sentry device, and I just ordered one, and it's going to monitor everybody. This one only replaces one person. You, good lord." And at this Han- point, you can never guess where this episode's going. No, no, never. And Hanley's like, well, he, he gets says, I was going to quit anyway. 
And basically, Whipple's like, well, I'm going to give you a great pension, some really generous severance pay and all this other stuff. And Hanley sticks it to him and he says, I've got something to give you in return and slaps him. And his revenge, I'm walking away clean. And he so tried, basically, yeah. he's been there for like how many decades? And he's like, he's so, he's, so disgusted with, you don't even take his with, severance with money. No pension or severance money or yeah. whatever. So he's he tries, walking away clean. Yeah, he tries to walk out the door then to but, be a stoic gentleman, but it does not work. No, because you have to have the key card that you have to hold in front of the electric eye. <laughs> Pretty impressive for the 60s. Yeah. yeah. That's how we get in our doors. <laughs> Pretty amazing. So then we see a montage of a cafeteria and then kind of like flipping a switch on a computer. Now the all the people are gone. Mm-hmm. Another with parking lot full of cars and honking horn sound effects. And then he flips the switch. Yeah. Empty. And then we the computer guy comes in and Whipple's talking about how secretaries are the next to go. Here we'll give you a demonstration. He dictates a... a it's Some like Siri on a memo. typewriter, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, look, no errors, whatever. And the computer guy's like, you know what? I'm out of here. I think you need to run an equipment check on yourself. Yep. He tells him. And at that point, we start hearing like snippets of conversations from the past, and the computer just starts freaking out, and he's walking around in a daze. Um, then he goes to the bar. We see him at the bar uh-huh. talking to Hanley, and they're talking about retirement. And then we learn that the board, get this, they have pushed Whipple out in his position, saying that this he was the only guy at the plant, and it was making him neurotic. And now he's retired. He doesn't have a, a wife or anybody to console nope. him. No, nope. man has value. And then it cuts to the factory, and it's that <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, what's his face, Uncle Uncle uh, Simon, Uncle Simon robot, except with less of a face. I think they changed the head out on him. Yeah, a little but bit. and he's swinging the keychain. That Just is like Mr. Whipple. That is the saving grace of this episode is that it cuts to a robot whipping around a little keychain at the very end. That is exactly what I wrote down as well. I was like, <laughs> these last two episodes, or the, these two episodes in this block are uh-huh. total bummers with yeah. like a funny shot. And you see like the actor inside the robot suit is like, picks up the phone and tries to hang it up, but he can't see where the phone is. So he's like kind of jumbling also, around on the desk. Yeah. And also he just like picks up the phone and just like holds it to his robot stomach for a little bit. Like, I don't know what he's communicating. <laughs> yeah. And I then robot food. fumbles it down. Uh, yeah. There's, there's really not a lot going on here. It's just kind of a thought fart, but, <laughs> but I will say it's a pretty forward thinking thought fart that it's not just, you know, machines taking people's jobs, but it's computers. Yeah. That was, Pretty specific for the Twilight Zone instead of just a robotic arm taking people's jobs, you know? Exactly. Uh, so I ended up giving this one a five. I gave this one a four. Okay. And it would have gotten a three if not for that last shot of Uncle Simon. <laughs> Good old Uncle Simon. Hey, unified Twilight Zone theory. It really, yeah. Uh, you saved Uncle the day. Simon. Uncle Simon got his leg patched up. That's right. <laughs> and he's good, good to go. Job. All right. So we're going to leave that kind of boring but pretty concrete episode to one... <laughs> called come wander with me so it opens with this uh, broken bridge and a guy who is clearly the rockabilly kid because that's what it says on the <laughs> side of his car is leaving his car and his name is floyd bernie and he has to start walking because of this broken bridge and he walks up to this old music shop and there's an old man that kind of appears and scares him suddenly behind a counter and like this shop's just filled with uh, instruments and crap uh oh cork has a point you're going to want to edit out my big snarky correction. I wrote down us. It's I'm not just editing kind of, it out. Please no. don't. <laughs> Leave that in there, please. God damn it, Kirk. Don't make me look like an asshole if I'm oh, wrong like that. God, it's so hard not to. I said it's hard not to. Hard. It's so hard. All right. Um, 
So, so anyway, no, hang on. So Floyd's explaining that he's really impressed by this shop. He's like, oh, I'll tell you one thing, Donnie. You got a swinging shop here, Dad. Come on, man. And he's trying to... Or he's like, he offers to buy a guitar from the back of the shop, and the old man's just screaming, like, no, 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 no. It's it's kind of a weird thing, because it took me a minute to figure out what's going on. Yeah. The bridge is not washed out. He's That's what I wrote down what? originally as it's yeah. happening. Yeah. It's, the bridge sucks, but he's stopping the car. This was his destination. Yeah. No, he explains it, yeah, because he heard that there was some good music around here. So the bridge isn't really out. Yeah, he just stops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think it's a combination of... He wanted to get to this place because he heard that he could buy some music mm-hmm. and the rockabilly kid needs some new tunes. And then the bridge was also out, so he just had to walk that last bit. That's yeah. kind of what I took it as. The way um, it was shot, maybe it's just like his, he was missing a transition. Uh-huh. Which meant to, it made it seem like it stopped. He walked across the right. little gap and then he was there. They didn't do like a long shot of him walking farther. God, I hope at some point there's long shots of him wandering around. God, that would be great. It'd be cool. Oh, well, let's need get back some to wandering. It. All right, so he's explaining that he really wants to buy uh, some music, yes, uh, or just anything from this old man. Because he's really, I guess, what he's doing is he's buying like authentic folk music, no right. phonies. Rockabilly kid needs it, Daddy O. Uh, come on, Chunky, you're missing the beat now. He's trying to explain. This guy's Lingo City. You know, he's Lingo City, of course. He's Lingosity. <laughs> that's right. No, but that's okay. And so then he hears. This woman singing, and I think it goes a little something like this. Oh, is this my cue? That's your cue. Am I whistling? Yeah. No, no, no. You're humming. Very impressive that you can remember all that. That song has not left my brain Why? since this episode. So, I didn't, well, the first time I heard it, and the Rockabilly Kid heard it, Yeah, and he was just immediately like, whoa, whoa. I got to go hear this. I was just like, what are you talking about, Rockabilly Kid? This song yeah. sucks. And then they play it a whole bunch of times, and I would go outside like it was like the smell of a cooling pie in a cartoon if I heard this song right now. So you're saying the Rockabilly Kid is fully justified for hunting down this song and wanting it so badly. I am amazed that he didn't just bludgeon that old man to death on the way out of the barn to find the source of this song. (laughs) So, yeah, he hears the song, apparently coming from the woods. He wanders out into the woods to find this dumb thing. And And he grabs the guitar, like, he's like, I'll buy anything, and he has, like, an old guitar. Before that, he had a flashy guitar. Right, right. And so he wanders out in the woods. Uh, He's walking by, and he, he sees a gravestone. I don't think he sees no, it. No, he sees he doesn't see it. I'm sorry. But he walks by a gravestone, and that's Sterling's cue. But the gravestone has his name on it, mm-hmm. and then it labels him the Wandering Man. Yes. And Sterling asks if somebody can be in two places at once. The answer is no. Answer, Thanks for watching, everybody. The answer is something. I don't know what's going on with this episode, but we'll keep going. Yeah. So he's wandering around in the woods. There's a lady dressed all in black who I thought at first would be Death. And she's standing off in the forest behind him. Super creepy. Pretty creepy, yeah. He then comes across that same lady, but she's not dressed in black. And her name's Mary Rachel. And Because uh, the lady in black, he he's walking and you see her in the background. Right. And then he does the thing, the camera pans just enough to where when he turns back, because he hears some crows, yeah. the lady's gone. Right. 
some mysterious stuff is happening in this musical wood. Uh, and so he finds the lady who's singing the song. He tries to argue that that song is in the public domain, even though it's the first time he's heard it. Yeah. And uh, that he should have it. And this is where the episode gets really confusing because she's explaining over and over again that the Rayford brothers made her promise that she wouldn't sing it mm-hmm. or give the song away. And the guy's like, Rayford brothers, who are those guys? And he's like remembering all these other musical brothers yeah. that are touring the country that she might be thinking of. And he can't quite place who these Rayford brothers are. Uh, and she's trying to explain that this song is not for sale. And he's like, oh, anything can be bought. All I got to do is find the tag. Hey. <laughs> so then he starts singing with her. And like they dub in this super deep voice uh, while he's singing. And it does not sound like him at all because he's normally just a weaselly, slimy little guy, right? Uh, so... <laughs> Again, I'm still confused by the premise that he's so desperate for a new song, he drives out to the middle, mi- middle of the wilderness and begs random mysterious women in the forest for the rights to this song that she's humming. Well, as his car advertises, he's desperate because his other tunes include Your Tears Ain't Enough, My Honey Tree, and Baby Don't Hang On. There we go. So at this point, the public domain is looking pretty good. <laughs> and so... uh because this the, lady, he, he oh, she's, she's like, so weird. yeah, it's super weird. And she says that um, he can have the song if she loves him forever and whatnot. Yeah, and you can't see me again. I'm bespoke. And he's like, I need that song. Uh, and she's like, you promise you'll love me and kiss me forever. Yeah, and he's, he's got like, like some field recording equipment, right? Like you mentioned. Yeah. And then so he's recording. And he's like, oh, we just got to keep doing it. And then but they're like making out for a little while while he promises her that they'll be in love forever. Yeah, and like then like crazy afternoon. And then the camera like zooms through the bushes and moves around and then the mary rachel all in black is standing behind them kind of watching them make out it's a spur of the moment situation son oh boy and i think that's a stinger uh so this is where it comes back and he's still trying to figure out what the song's about and she explains that it's about love uh and then the rayford brother shows up and he shows up with a shotgun and he's like i know you you're the singing man ain't you but he's talking kind of like a zombie Mm -hmm. He just, like, raises the gun and, like, points it at him. Uh, And he says that folks heard that he was sugar-talking this Mary Rachel. Yes. Who's... They're in the middle of the woods. Mm -hmm. Who is this guy getting this information? So... He says he's going to talk to Billy Rayford. And she says, don't. We're going to go to town. You said you would buy me things. Bells and beads and bonnets. Right. Bells, bonnets, and bright beads. Perfect. So he's fighting with the Rayford brother... Uh, he gets, the Rafer brother gets shot, uh, with his own gun. And then the recording starts playing things that are happening. Kind of like you lured him under the willow tree and all this stuff. Yeah. Very specific stuff about, yeah, the, the tree and tree being broken and, and all this like stuff. he's like trying to break the machine because he's like, what is going on with this? Yeah. He knows that it's, it's super current, that something's not quite right. And so then... Uh, she suggests like running this time as if this has happened again and again and again. Uh, and so then she is then in black telling him not to run after he's running through the woods for a little while. Mm-hmm. And he still keeps running. He ignores her this time because he doesn't know what's happening. And trust me, no one knows what's happening. He runs to the old man. Yes. Uh, and he's like, I'm Floyd Bernie, you old man. I'm the rockabilly boy. And then he picks up a song and he tries plays to... the guitar it's like the funniest thing is like, 
Hey, my honey Come on, man. It's probably one of his hits to try and convince this guy to let him buy the song. Or he's just like, you got to help me out. Yeah, so he plays that song for it. Whatever. It is absolutely hilarious. He then beats the old man to death. Just for no reason. He just like hits him over the head and the old man's dead. And then the old Gatlin brothers or the Rayford brothers start like walking up and he sees the shadows. Yep. And uh, then he's murdered by the Gatlin or the Rayford brothers. Yes. Uh, And then Sterling explains that he got his final top billing on his tombstone, which is everything he always wanted. But it didn't say rock and rockabilly kid. It said the wandering guy. It said the wandering man at the beginning, though, too. Right, but that's not top billing. Wouldn't he want oh, his tombstone to at least say rockabilly kid? Yeah, you'd think so. Hmm. Oh. What the hell's going on in this? <laughs> is he he's dead the whole time? He's gonna be dead later, so this is all in reality? Is that woman death? I needed to discuss this episode with you to try and comprehend if there's some deeper logic here. Yeah, I wonder if this is just like some kind of time loop that always happens and then obviously she's trying to help him break out of it by singing it's it's like totally a spur of the moment thing where like a you know what i mean like where she's kind of watching over herself but is not helping because she's actually the one who's causing the situation in the first place so by singing this song that lures him into the woods Uh uh-huh it sets everything into motion and i the whole I'm bespoke to him and they're in love. And so, yeah, since it's a time loop, that's why his grave is already there. And then. But have they always only known each other for a few hours? I don't know. And then maybe that's why she was wearing black when she visited his funeral grave. So that's like post grave version of the lady, Mary Richard. This is, this is a real mess. It's a real mess. I will say, um, I thought it was going to be more Jess Bell. As soon as that first song started. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah, I know. I would have helped, though, to have a narrator. Anybody explain what's going (laughs) on. I would have taken a living man singer, just anything to try and help me parse what they're trying to convey or what the point of it all is. Yeah. Uh, I guess I'll give this one. I like a mystery, but I don't think there's a real mystery here. I think it's just super sloppy kind of Twilight Zone in its last breaths. Yeah. Uh, So I'll give it a four. Yep. <laughs> All right, dude. Moving on. All right. Next up, the fear. There we go. All right. I like this episode. My All right. Lie. Cool. So we start up as a police car is pulling up to a house. Guy knocks on the door, comes in. And a trooper says to the lady who answers, hey, I heard you were at the general store. And uh, you told the storekeeper that you saw some lights in the sky. Right. And could I stop you before you even yeah. get this far? My, one of my favorite parts of this episode is how it transitions in the very beginning. Like it's on the Twilight Zone title screen mm-hmm. and it's like Starfield backdrop and whatnot, you know? And then it has that cross dissolve and it fades into his truck mm-hmm. as he's driving out to meet this lady. But it's like, since it's a black screen and the only thing on it is his truck, like with the dissolve, it just looks like his truck's headlights are two other stars on the okay. Twilight Zone screen. It's a cool little effect. That they're playing with the intro like that. Cool. So then he goes on and she's talking about how there's lights in the sky. Yeah, she said she, and then she starts, you immediately realize, oh, this lady sucks. Because she's talking about, oh, I may have just said that because I'm tired of talking about the 
temperature and all the weather and all this other crap. Bingo so games. said anything. <laughs> right. And then you learn she was a fashion editor from New York, and then she had a nervous breakdown, and that she kind of moved out to the middle of nowhere to get away from people, but because that's just a myth because everyone's all up in your business, no matter right. where you go. So... He says to her, well, you know what? I think you're a charter member of the insufferable snobs. And on his way out, you hear sounds and you see some lights. Right. Like UFO-y type sounds and lights. Uh-huh. So then it turns out, she says, well, you know what? Here's the deal. I'm not really a snob. I'm actually afraid. Big old fraidy cat. So I lock the door and lock myself up away from other people so that I won't get hurt. Now, am I an idiot, Cork? Because she explains that she's a founding member of Frightened People. Mm-hmm. And she is, uh, she acts superior to hide her fear. Yeah, That's basically. Not, she's not talking about a literal group. She's just making. You weirdo. No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> she's just talking about that she's a, a scaredy cat person. Why yeah. is she moving out into the middle of the woods in a dark cabin by herself then? I don't know. You You would think that's a bad idea. Yeah. Maybe at this time, that was like the cool thing to do i've seen mad men yeah it seemed like yeah i've seen cabin in the woods i know <laughs> uh anyway so they look outside and they see this pulsing sun like beam of light behind mm-hmm. the trees and he says yeah stay inside so she walks out to he walks out to investigate and he's carrying what could very well be the largest flashlight mm-hmm. ever invented it's Correct. absolutely incredible this whole area is very bates motelli from psycho oh yeah yeah Flashlight included. And he sees all like tops of some trees are knocked down. And uh, she says, hey, is everything okay? And he's like, get back inside. And just then you see the car getting pulled by some mysterious force. Uh-huh. Like down a hill. I thought and, for sure it was going in the swamp. Just yeah. like Psycho. And then it gets turned on its side. So they go back inside. And he says, hey, lock the door. And she says something to the effect, and I thought you were brave. And he's like, hey, here's the deal. Being scared is normal. Yeah. I've been in foxholes and all. I've been in two wars war at stuff, this point. Yeah. But it's how you react is what's the important thing. So they check the phone line, and it's dead. And uh, he asked if she has two beds because he'd like to crawl under mm-hmm. one of them. Yes. Because the phone's dead. And then we see the outside of the building, the house, and you see like a big shadow, which <laughs> they don't see. And it's a humanoid shadow. Uh-huh. So they're drinking some coffee. And she hears creaking on the roof. Very Invaders-esque. Yeah. So he goes out, and it's a very tense moment where he's kind of wandering around, and you hear dogs, and there's nothing on the roof. Mm-hmm. But then he goes and sees his car is back on its side. This kind of has got giant fingerprints on it, like literally like giant fingerprints. White fingerprints on a black cop car. And then he comes in, and he's like... Like if he was a private investigator, that would be his advertisement, except it was huh. like someone had like touched it with white paint on them and i like the idea he comes back into the cab and he's like somebody's moved the car and i think i know how they did it like yes. he's really pieced that together based on gigantic fingerprints yep. on there it's a really nice maneuver on his part too like you've got this woman who's absolutely terrified so he's like so someone moved the car i think i knew who he did it and if my estimates are correct this we're looking at a 500 foot high invader <laughs> yeah i like that he calls him an invader too mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that's an intentional callback but yeah so the next morning they go around and look at the car in daylight, and then that's when they notice a giant footprint. At this point, she's like, you know what? That's it. Goodbye. It starts running away because she's not going to wait for him to try to radio back to home base and everything like mm-hmm. that. She's had it. Sure. So then we see her react to the giant, and 
his reaction, and we see what this is. It's a giant, and it's this enormous spaceman, like an astronaut suit, and where its face should be is like a giant eyeball face. <laughs> right. And it's super weird looking, pretty creepy, I and guess. And it's just and standing there. Just it's like clearly a person there. in a suit that's it's, just kind of like wafting back and forth. Yeah, and they're like, what is going on? He's got yeah. his little gun pointed at it, and he's like, I don't, yeah. She's like, like, why doesn't it do something? Why isn't it destroying us? Yeah, he's like, well, that's a good question. I've got to fill you in on something. I've got to fight that with this. And he's got his tiny gun. And he walks forward, and he just starts doing, ta, 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 taking his shots. And then at that point, it starts getting really windy. And, like, they're falling down. And then you see, like, the posture of this thing kind of was, like, slumped over as though it's wounded. And then you realize, oh, that's what's going on. It's totally a balloon. And they're super, they're very happy about this. Did you know what was right, what was happening right when they took a shot? I thought that, like, being silly. Uh huh. I was like, ah ha ha, it's a balloon. Thinking, oh, and it's probably some kind of wind ray. No, it's a balloon. Yeah, it's total balloon. But then you think, like, oh, this must be some test or some. That's what I was thinking. I was like, how did the giant, the balloon get there? And then we see it's this tiny little UFO. It's probably the size of your kitchen table. And uh-huh. he like waves her over and he's like, hey, look at this. And <laughs> Suddenly they, they're not scared anymore. Not scared at all. And you see these tiny little guys that look like the weather, the the alien balloon guys. Yeah. And they're like, uh, calling home base or whatever. Uh, our mission to scare the earthlings is a failure. They were not freaked out by our giant balloon and our painted fingerprints. and <laughs> That the, was quite an effort for them to paint the those ma- fingerprints. <laughs> and the magnet we used to pull the car and all this <laughs> other stuff. I was just thinking that, like, one footprint they made. Oh, it must have taken so <laughs> long. And then, yeah, and then they fly away, and the guy is like, well, I wish him luck. Suddenly yeah. we're rooting for these freaky effing things. Yeah, and then she says something like, hey, well, what if they come back and they're bigger, right? She's the one who says that, and he's like, yeah. I got a feeling you'll spit in their eye. Yeah, yeah. And there, there we go. go. I think it continues the Twilight Zone's obsession with big things and small things. That would be my obsession. <laughs> that, no, that's your obsession. That's right. I get those two confused. Yeah. Man, I, I would actually be more scared of the small aliens. Like right when I really, yeah, I think this was a pretty good episode. And the idea, I think, just the invaders is so strong too that it's mm-hmm. like, oh, more people in a house and they hear little aliens on the roof. Like, yeah, I, maybe I've just seen signs too much, but I, I love that. Shit. Oh God, I love signs. Okay, good, good. Uh, and so just that idea. It's super alluring, but then when you find out that like, oh, this thing's five hundred feet tall, like, oh well, now I'm not scared of it anymore because you can just see it walking yeah. through the woods, like it's no big deal. But like the idea of like even those super small guys running around your house, that's terrifying. They really blew it. <laughs> they should have thought about things. They should have talked to the um, Americans for the U.S. space program and the yeah. invaders because they knew how to do it. Oh, I'd like to see the war between those two. Yeah, the little wart rays they could use. Yeah. Oh well. I wonder what would happen if the little guys from this episode mm-hmm. landed on the planet of the giants from uh, the invaders. Oh gosch. Imagine what that would look like. They could go up the nostril. Much smaller. Uh-huh. They would it would take so much more work to get those fingerprints going. She would punch that eyeball balloon right in the face. <laughs> <laughs> it would just be her size. It'd just be like a blow up doll in her bed. She's like, can that she stand just up? Stroking her? its eyeball helmet, <laughs> take it she to falls her big in love with her grunt noises. Bed. Kissing him on it. Ma. Ma. <laughs> Don't leave me, Jeffrey. Uh I ended up giving this one a six. I uh, I, I think that I the more I th- I like I give this one a six also. Uh-huh. But I want to talk myself up to a seven. 
just because it's really, fun. It's a really fun episode. It's not great. No, no, and it's just one more bang on that old small big alien drum. But it's really fun. I think I think it's a fun episode, and we, I'll take fun. We just experienced was it like what three four episodes ago at this point? Like the giant alien that abducted the two people mm-hmm. and they're wedding or they're not quite there yeah. anymore i guess it wasn't but like just that idea of like oh we just saw that but this was not a giant alien but they were the giant alien the people were <laughs> yeah yeah but we're not aliens because we live here oh i see okay sure um no i'm with you that it was it was fun yeah. I, I thought the lady looked like hillary clinton and she did a real good job <laughs> okay here, honestly, am I just a complete idiot for not picking up on that line in the beginning where she's like, oh, I'm a member of the Scaredy Cats Club. I, I took that completely literally, and then when I saw the big alien at the end, I was like, oh, I bet that like the Scaredy Cat Club like lined that up and like inflated <laughs> it as like a test. <laughs> the Scaredy Cat Club. <laughs> just to see like what would happen, and like they're trying to like break her of her scarediness. That's why they put her in that cabin. What kind of costumes do the Scaredy Cat <laughs> club members right ah, welcome to the scary cat club <laughs> uh, i don't know i didn't i didn't think about it too much <laughs> okay. all right coming up next coming in hot we got the bewitching pool that's with an apostrophe just in case you're you're wondering mm-hmm. all right so the best thing about this episode is the way it starts this is a super weird episode by the way man is it weird it's, it's it is We'll get into it. Oh, will Let's we? talk okay. about this episode. No, oh, let's just end it right here. Let's okay, sure. Should we recap it? All right. For the final episode of The Twilight Zone, it opens up with a mother saying, children, your father and I are getting a divorce. Yes. Just right out of the gate. Uh, they're tr- she's saying that the kids have to choose uh, where to live. They're going to go with their father. Uh, and then the daughter starts speaking. And this is the first real knock against this episode, which otherwise starts with a cool, bold sentence. But the daughter's voice is super annoying and they dubbed it over i wrote down what the fuck is up with this little girl's voice in all caps <laughs> so it turns out that it was like a, a rookie director on set and apparently the audio was super rough for the little girl and they're also worried that she had too strong of a southern accent so they got some other lady to dub it over everyone else's mics were fine but just this little girl they decided to dub it all over for all scenes except for when she's in the house with auntie it is bad it's really really bad also confusing because this little girl is a scout from to kill a mockingbird uh, same character and are you talking about the same character it's the same actress no it's not yeah only here she's called sport that's the confusing part so kill a mockingbird the kids names are scout and jim this episode the kids names are sport and jeb <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Chinese knockoff version of To Kill a Mockingbird, and just as good, if you ask me, frankly. Oh yeah. Okay, so let's let's get into beyond just this lady's. Is it horrible, really the same actress who played yeah. Scout? Yes. yes oh it my is. goodness. Yeah. Sport and Jeb. All right. Anyways, so uh, the kids <laughs> do not like to talk about divorce with their parents, and so they freak out and they run and jump in the pool and there's. First time watching this, they're screaming something about like, it's screaming in this pool and then diving down and the wife's panicking like, oh, they're going to drown down there. Go save them. And then the husband's like, I can't find them. They swam down in the pool. I don't know where they are. I can't see them anymore. Uh, And then it transitions to Serling 
who I really wish was like in a floaty on the other side of the pool. That would have been a nice touch. But of course, he's just standing with his suit on. Um, and so then, okay, this is where it also gets confusing. Can I, okay, can, there's a part real quick though. Sure. The kids disappear in the water. Yeah. As they just, they swim and down the in the water. the parents are just standing there. For a long while. And then finally the mom's like, well, do something. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh yeah. He just takes his jacket. Like the slowest uh-huh. reaction. Well, I mean, their family's crumbling apart. Maybe that's one of the reasons is he wasn't protective enough over their children. Yeah. Okay, so lack of urgency. So we come back from commercial yes. after that little intro. And the kids are sitting by the side of the pool again. Yes. And it's very confusing because like, well, did that not happen? Did they time travel back to a time when their parents were getting along? But then you find out that no, their parents are still totally fighting. Mm-hmm. They're not quite to the divorce point yet but they absolutely hate each other um and so just to clear up all confusion the beginning of this episode is the ending of this episode they just double it up so this is back in time now before the kids freaked out and the parents get a divorce yes okay but it gets confusing i'll I'll get to that in a bit so uh the kids are like playing around by the side of the pool Mm -hmm. and the parents are screaming at him like darn you loudmouth kids and the little boy who looks like a baby andy richter He's explaining that he's just a natural born screamer and he can't help it. And then the kids start staring in the pool and their big game is that they just make stuff up. They yep. just like look at the pool by their legs and they just say like, oh boy, now there's a there's a witch. And the kid's like, oh, I want it to be a fat witch. It's like There is no such thing as a fat witch. But keep in mind, this is all that horrible dub lady voice. Yes. There's no such thing as a fat witch. Yeah. Something horrific like that. So... Very confusing where this is taking place in the timeline, but it is still in the past. And so while they're looking down at the pool, having their just most boring possible fantasy game, a Tom Sawyer-looking kid... Complete with straw hat. Got a straw hat. He pops up out of the pool, and he says, Hey, join me. Uh, So they swim down into the pool. They come up in kind of a swamp. And it's kind of like a Lost Boys situation. There's like a bunch of kids all around there. Oh, they're playing with like a stick and tire. There's a seesaw, jump rope. Right. There's a... Everything. There's Aunt T, who is an old lady. Yes. And she's a super nice lady. And like uh, the kids... uh, Well, like the dumb Tom Sawyer kid starts doing this horrible fake laugh when they're explaining that they swam down into a pool. The two like sport and Tom Sawyer... (laughs) Kind of get into it, and right. then the kids chase Tom Sawyer into the Aunt T's house. Right, right. And then Aunt T gives them boxing gloves. She's like, oh, you go out there and have fun. And then she lets the other kid decorate a cake. And then they all start decorating the cake and have Very a real Very progressive good time. at the time because uh, Jeb is going to ice the cake, and Sport is just going to beat the crap out of Tom Sawyer. <laughs> that makes it sound like a more interesting episode than it is. And this cake is enormous, too, by the way. I don't want to... Right. Sell this cake short. Right. And the other right. kids are like, ah, F this. Let's just frost a cake. It looks like more fun. <laughs> yeah, they're all having a good time. Uh, the kid tells a joke. He says, what do you call somebody that doesn't ah. take a bath and crosses the ocean twice? A dirty double crosser. And, and they, they all oh laugh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, they laugh and laugh. And then the girl's a little bit worried, and she's trying to explain that, like, hey, auntie's a kidnapper. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that's not really an issue. And then you can hear the voices of their parents calling for them. Yes. Because they still think that they're drowning in the bottom of the pool. And Auntie's like, oh, don't worry about that. It fades over time. It's no big deal. So then they're like, oh, we should really get going. Because uh, Auntie's, Auntie's going to give them their chores and show them their rooms and stuff. Right, right. And they're like, oh, no, we should probably go back home. 
And so then Auntie explains like, hey, if you leave, it's really tough to come back here. Yeah. Like, okay, sure. And so they go back and they're at the pool and they explain that the father has been looking them for them for an hour in the pool. <laughs> like there's the parents are still sitting by the side of the pool. They've been there for an hour and they just can't find him. They're like, where were you? They're like, oh, we were in our room. It's like, oh, no one likes a lying boy. And they start yelling at the kids even more. Dad was probably looking for her and telling his wife, like, I see a fat witch. Uh, what do you see? <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it's implied that the father jumped in the pool, just like the beginning of the episode, which is actually the end of the episode. Just a cursory sweep at best. Like, yep. An hour. Those and kids are just, pretty big, and the pool is not that big. Either. And they stood there and could not find them. And still, we're not shocked when they popped up. Just suddenly, just immediately, just started yelling at them. There was not like, no, the, oh my god, we were so worried about you. It's like, haven't we told you? Yeah, it's all very, very confusing. And so, okay, so then they're still being yelled at, and uh, the mom's calling the kid a liar. Everyone, everyone is yelling at each other and whatnot. And so, at a certain point, then the boy runs out and jumps in the pool again mm-hmm. right you don't see it because you just see yeah. sport painting some watercolor face right and so then they go back and, and yeah. they both jump in the pool again because sport has to go after jeb she's got to get jeb back right because the mom is starting to get worried and so sport goes back to auntie's house and is explaining, they're like, oh, no, our mom and dad, they're going to get back together. They said everything's going to be fine. We're going to go on trips again. It's going to be real yep. fun. Jeb is at the kitchen table shining shoes, and and uh, right. Auntie is surprised. She's like, it's rare that kids come back. At this point, it's probably rare because parents pay attention the first time their kids nearly drown. Yeah. You like, think hey, so. maybe we should pay, you know, don't let them swim unattended. <laughs> and so... Uh, they're explaining, they're like, oh, sport can't be lying because, you know, what happens to kids that lie, they go to hell and they get all burned up, mm-hmm. they explain. Uh, and so Auntie is like, well, you know, if sports saying if what sports is saying is true, then you need to go back home because your parents are going to get back together and they're going to love each other and that you can't stay here anymore. Yeah, and you should run if there's love back at home, she says. Right, because love's the most important thing of all. Yep. And she's got a lisp and all this crap. She sounds like Dr. Light from Mega Man. Uh, and so they then go back home and the parents are still screaming at each other and now this is the beginning of the episode with them explaining we're gonna get a divorce yes and you need to choose what happens and so the kids then jump in the pool and they're screaming for aunt t aunt t and And part of the argument though the the climax of it the daughter support is like it's our fault you're getting divorced and the mom's like well i'll tell you one thing we wouldn't have stuck around as long as we have if it weren't for you right at that point they were just like see you (laughs) (laughs) and so like it's kind of cool that they have to take a couple dives down because they can't get to auntie again like the portal isn't working right or some crap like that eventually it seems like the portal is working because they aren't coming back up and the father like the beginning of the episode because it's the same shot he's hesitant to dive in the pool but what's confusing about that is that he already did it He's already dove in the pool once and searched for him for an hour. Like, this has already happened in this timeline. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's just a bizarre notion. But yeah, so he eventually dives in, like at the beginning of the episode. Um, and so then the kids somehow made it to Auntie's again. Even oh, though God, the, the portal e- is very tight and tough to squeeze through. They're eating so much cake. I imagine the portal's moving around on the floor of the pool. You need, a tr- you need some chalk. You can exactly. Draw a line it's and exactly cap it. like that. Yeah, that's what I envision. Unified theory. 
Um, and so I guess the lesson is that. Well, wait. Oh, so they're diving in again. Yeah, he, Dad's diving in again, and the kids are getting served giant cake, and they're eating all the cake. Oh yeah, and they can and hear the parents. You can screaming. hear the parents, and then the auntie says, well, "What's wrong, Sport?" And then Sport says, "Oh, I thought I heard something. Can I have more cake?" Yeah, just the parents are drowned out forever. Whatever, man. And so the lesson is: if your parents are arguing, kids need to swim to the bottom of the pool. And stay down there as long as possible repeatedly. I think that this episode could be summed up with a single word. Please. Misguided. Misguided. Because I think they're trying to go for a really heartwarming kind of story. Uh Uh-huh. But this is really f***ed up. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like encouraging kids to kill themselves. Like you said, if things are bad at home, that these awful, miserable parents... That there like is something better if you would just hang out underwater for a while. I, yeah, I mean they're trying to make it seem like the Peter Pan fantasy. Yeah, it's like this crazy fantasy land that you can get away to and whatnot. And and then the fact that Aunt T is nice and sympathetic, I think it makes it worse in a lot of ways because it it makes this kind of like an alluring fantasy land. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I like the idea of seeing like a dysfunctional family on the Twilight Zone and some parents blaming the kids and the mm-hmm. kids blaming themselves for a divorce. Like it's an interesting idea. Like what's I, inside the box but with kids? What's in Yeah, basically. But yeah, it, it just is not interesting. This is one of those episodes when it was over, this was the last one of the series and it was like, uh Ta da <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Yeah, it's it definitely didn't go out as strong as it started. Mm-mm. And fifth season, I think, was pretty good overall. And it sucks that this last block was a lot of eh. Yeah, eh, it's not so great. I'm curious to see our average scores. Hopefully, that uh, that listener is still piecing that stuff together. But uh, I get this one a four. Yep, you're in the same boat. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's it, it just really this episode really bums me out. I don't know what it is. I just. Don't like the idea of that message at all. Uh huh. I think it's super shitty. You think it's weird as a parent? I just think it's weird as a person <laughs> <laughs> to to think that they're it's, it's totally encouraging people to kill themselves. Because I don't think that that we're to believe I don't that. Know this, if I'd go that far, you don't think that the portal is just coincidentally at the bottom of the pool. And so, like it was not the same situation as like that one portal that appeared mm-hmm. by that girl's bed. Yeah. I know they had to find like an out of the way place. It would have been. I don't think it would have been as harmful, in my opinion, if it had been like behind a wall. Sure. The fact that they're putting it at the bottom of the pool where the subtext is quite obvious, drowning, uh-huh. you know. And yeah. the fact that the kids are like visual, you know, appearing yeah. or um, disappearing temporarily. Um, yeah. There's something supernatural at work, clearly. I mean, it's freaking Twilight Zone, you expect. <laughs> But I don't, I don't know. The whole under the pool thing is, I think, pretty lame. Okay, that's fair. Uh, what episode's next, Cork? Well, next episode, I think, is going to be Franklin's, isn't it? Yeah, Franklin's season five. Now, how is this going to work? Yeah. Are we doing Franklin's for season five? Yep. Followed by Mega Franklin's? I think it has to be the Mega Franklin's, yeah. yeah. That's going to be tough. Yes. Because I'm going to read through all of my notes again, and I have a 
crap load of notes. So what would a pull on a Mega Franklin slot machine be like? Would it be you pull the handle uh-huh. and it's just tiny Franklins instead yeah. of the bar symbol? It's just three Franklins? Right. I think that's how it has, okay. to, has to go. Uh, that one's that one's going to be a beast. Yes. And so next week, you want to do the, the Franklins for season five and then right after that? We may need to think for the mega. Well, oh, we we can we we'll do Franklin's next week. Uh huh. And then we can discuss then, right? Whether or not we're taking a week off. <laughs> okay, that sounds fascinating. I know. Look forward to that. It's gonna be a heated discussion. But now everyone's in easy street. We don't. I was gonna say have to get to yeah. watch any more Twilight Zones. All right. It's all over, man. We don't need to carve that out of our schedule. I don't need to worry about that crap anymore. Yeah. It's always a thing of like, oh, God, the night before, I'm going to have to spend two hours watching Hulu ads so I can be caught up. I still enjoyed it up until the end, and I'm very happy to say that I've seen every episode now. Yeah. But it was it was a little bit of a haul at times. So many ice cream commercials. So many. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for tuning in for our dumb analysis, if you can call it that, our uh, exasperated recaps of every twilight zone episode ever yes and if someone would really like to break down why they liked um what was the that episode pool? yeah did anyone really like the witching the witching pool and also if someone could break down come wander with me uh-huh like if they feel as though this episode makes complete sense i would love to to hear a rational explanation <laughs> on that or at least some theory that they've shoehorned in. Because I don't think even the writers had any idea yeah. what was happening. I think it was just a real mess. Just kind of a, a turd at the end. All right. <laughs> well, let us know in the comments because yeah. I would appreciate that. That sounds good. All right. But otherwise, thanks for listening. And we'll be back next week for the Almighty Franklins. All right. <laughs>